Ah. We're all getting brutally killed. It's scary. How are you guys? <laughs> it's high tension day here at the old factory <laughs> where we make this podcast. And uh, I don't know what I mean by that. Abe, help me out. People need to hear your voice and know how it sounds. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just keep thinking of the podcast factory. The pod fact. The pod. What? Here at Frame Rate, we're talking about high tension. A great French film. Uh, in its native parlance, Haute Tension, which I've actually seen several times. Abe, I think you introduced me to the movie. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. Is that yeah, true yeah. in college? Yeah, yeah. it uh, came out in 2003, so like right when we it's hit college. very scary year. Uh, if you go, if you read 2003 from the end backwards, it spells boo with a two after it. But um, I digress. The point is, I thought it was terrifying then. I've watched it several times since. I watched it again two nights ago in French, and I was still scared even though it was in French. It's a pretty gory movie. It's got a... And what I liked about it, or the reason I remember uh, showing it to you, is I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, man, this director Rolodex is literally every like horror trope I can think of in a single movie, to the point that it's almost like reductive. Okay, so that's the big contention today. Abe watched the movie again, of course, because we were going to record this for you fine folks. And you somehow some of the shine has come off it. And I had that experience recently with LA Confidential, which I used to like sometimes say was my favorite movie. But then I realized I hadn't watched it in 12 years and I watched it and I was like, it's good. Mm -hmm. But somehow the shine had gone off. High tension still nailed me. What is different about it for you now? Um, I guess, well, let me get into why I thought it was a great movie. Please I do. I mean, it's not just the, uh, when I originally watched it and for a long time I kind of like remembered it, it, it there's, uh, first off a spoiler, just, just if you know, Oh, sp- I because think, it's kind of key to like kind of yeah. work backward. Spoiler warning. I think blankets this whole podcast. Yeah. yeah but I just yeah. right here in the sentence, I'm going to just do a log line. Essentially these two French women are, you know, out in the country, like having a quote unquote study retreat and they're staying with a family of one of them, Alex and Marie's the friend. And they both kind of don't want to be there. But before everything happens on the first night, a killer comes and kills the entire family. And then the rest of uh, act two and act three, essentially is, uh, uh, Marie, Marie trying to save Alex, trying to save from, Alex from this murder until it's revealed in act three that it's actually, uh, Marie has broken down into psychosis and she is the killer and has been creating all this vicious, brutal acts. And Alex is terrified of her. And finally she essentially is put into a psychiatric it's ward. So simple and good. And I just think yeah. it's all in the execution, man. Yeah. It's one of the basic horror twist there's a great Stephen King short story that's just a guy is walking to a date and he has flowers and a present for his girlfriend and you're in his head because he's the protagonist and the whole way there he keeps hearing increasingly frighteningly like news over the radio and tv and from snippets of conversation that there's this hammer killer who's been killing people in the in the town and it gets increasingly frightening and you're like i see where this is going he's gonna encounter the hammer killer and then he arrives at his date and the present is a hammer and he kills her with the hammer and he throws the flowers on her body and leaves you're like oh he was the monster it's just the same twist, but that's a good... It's a good twist. If it's well done, it's well done. And yeah. I thought in this, it's really well done because there's so few elements and it's so simple that you really can look back and be like, oh, everything was... I don't know. It got me, man. That's what, And that's why I liked it because it like pulled from like a lot of films. Like It just pulls from 
everything American. In a lot of ways, it's French New Wave, meaning like it's a French film that is just regurgitating kind of uh, termetically what the art form of like typical horror movies of the Americas is. Which um, now we're doing with all of our franchises. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so what I liked about it is that it, it, a, it, do, it pulls from every horror movie you can think imaginable that at least is not like dealing with like Nightmare on Elm Street dreams, but even then it's still got a swing set in it. But, um, you know, it pulls from like Jurassic Park. Um, it pulls from the shining, obviously from like the plot twist. And so there's a lot of things that are good about it. The reason why I liked it is that it's like, think of all your, it's like Christmas day and you get those, or I guess, you know, those, you know, candies or whatever that you open and you, you're looking for the best ones and you want the raspberry filled one. You want the apple. Oh, you're talking like one. a Whitman sampler. Yeah. 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 Sure. But you don't want the almond one. Cause get out of there. Almond's but good. you don't want the coconut point it. You don't want the coconut. Leave the coconut. <laughs> exactly. So this film is essentially like a, I like to think of it as like a buffet of like the cream of the crop, the best versions or a, a regurgitation of the best horror like kind of a horror safari, if you will. And, uh, and it does <laughs> that and, and you get taken up by it. Cause you, you point and look at it and go, Oh, Oh, that's Jurassic Park. Like the Raptor scene. And you point at that. Oh, that's exactly that. Right. To and be all clear, these you're things. not talking just the things that happen, but like shot sequences, shot sequences, right? like the, the like motivation Taren- of why the shot is angled a certain way. How, f- how, how much they let loose. Is it, wait, is it all in her head? Like they do it very, you know, artistically, but right. And like Tarantino will do, they unabashedly copy a sequence <laughs> from another movie. Yeah. And it's not to be a parody of it. It's to be like, look how classy I am. I'm quoting this. Quote, great that's, horror and that's movie. what doesn't work for me, uh, with Tarantino anymore uh-huh. is here. Oh, okay. When I watched it again, I was like, but what is the purpose of it? It's just like, I can just go back and watch vertigo, which is the first one I did it. This just because this is like, highlight reel sometimes i want to watch the game see what's weird is that line must be different for everyone and that line is like evolving right now because i didn't feel that way about this movie but like i feel that way about stranger things Mm -hmm. i have no interest whatsoever because it's not innovative enough i like some things that are a sampler of my childhood like i liked a millimeter is that no that's the snuff film one that's nick cage super eight I like Super 8, and that was sort of a regurgitation of Spielberg, but so is Stranger Things, and for some reason it's just not new enough. There's not enough new material, and it reads as just filler to me. Like, it's really boring to me. But not high tension. High tension still gets me. And maybe it's just because of how brutal it really is. Because that's the other thing, if you haven't seen it, you're debating whether to see it. The kills are fucking brutal. Yeah. Like, think about how many throat slittings you've seen just in Game of Thrones alone, but I mean, if you're a horror fan, you know. These, this one takes the kick. It's the best throat slit, best is in quotes, but like, it's the most disturbing throat Very slit visceral. sequence. So well executed. Like, think about this. It's so genius. The uh, She's hiding in one of those closets. This has been used to great effect in other movies, yes. like E.T. and shit. But she's hiding in one of those closets where the door has slats. Or um, uh, Burn After Reading when (laughs) uh, Brad Pitt gets shot. Uh, But so she sees a woman's throat get slit directly in front of her. And then the woman like slowly dies and falls down the slitted door so that at every step, 
Her gash is visible in one slit and her eyes are visible in the slit above. And she like stops like an elevator at every floor on the way down. And you, it's so clearly choreographed that it's clearly intentional. And I think that like, I don't know why, but somehow the elegance of the execution makes it more disturbing to me. Whereas like, and I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but there's like an infamous movie called a Serbian film where a bunch of people got together Oof. and were like, can we, what's the most upsetting thing we could ever show happen? And so you watch it, if you have a deep morbid curiosity like me, to see like, well, what did they come up with? And it's horrifying, but more in a way where you're like, I can't believe these people who made this are so morally empty inside. Yeah. But there's nothing good about it, and it's boring, ultimately. Whereas this is just a throat slit, your standard horror throat slit. And it, like I was holding my throat and going like, oh, no. <laughs> and to the credit of the director, honestly, yeah, it's like what Hitchcock said about uh, like when he chose Vertigo, he's like, I wanted the most vulnerable place because vulnerability is the key to like suspense and terror. And uh, so he's like, it's either in the shower well, or on psycho, the john. Right? Psycho, sorry. Psycho, sorry. yeah. Um, yeah, I said Vertigo earlier before I meant Psycho. Um, and it, let me just roll that, like tell you the... There's so many times in this movie where it's just like, oh, seen that scene and another scene, but they like kind of change it enough. I think that that's yeah, yeah, the line we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Marie goes out to smoke and there's swing. She's on a lonely swing set and that's where the turn happens, which as we know is if you remember Nightmare Before Elm Street, yeah. it's kind of the, it's the psychological twist of at this moment once, and then it's a shot of empty, no creaky empty, swing. Crinky swing. <laughs> And that's when yeah. she has transposed from Marie, the smoker, to Marie, the killer. And the, um, you got to say Cornfield. Is that already on the list? Yeah, Cornfield's like, Jesus up God, there. Yeah. How classic horror can you get? They chase them Exactly. They live in a house that's just Cornfield. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned the throat slit next in the house. when she, uh, So at first she does in, uh, after she the killer's there and decapitates the father, um, she is in a room and she's the only one who's seemingly aware that someone is, there's been a break in and she opens the, uh, you know, the psycho shower, but then uh -huh. she goes, uh, kind of in a, like a post scream world where I think in scream, there was that one line. No one runs upstairs. That's the worst thing. But it's do. so much more elegant it's because so much more she elegant. doesn't say anything. She, she just, just opens it and realizes this is a bad idea. People hide in the shower and they always get stabbed. I yeah. shouldn't hide in the shower. And you're but like, that's so sad. Where she goes next is she goes to the closet where the throat slit happens. And that's another horror trope. Um, Cause in the early, yeah, yeah. Um, also, ironically, of course, since you know the twist, she didn't have to do any of this. This is just her running around the house, this imagining is what she shit. Remembers, she's yeah. hallucinating. Yeah. She's hallucinating. Uh, about fifty minutes in, there's a hide and seek game that is basically the raptor scene from Jurassic Park in terms of how the how it's shot and how at the, the gas station, built. right? And the, yeah, where she's like at the one end of the aisle and like the raptor being the villain is like at the you know kiosk desk, and there's this kind of like back and forth kind of rotation that happens between them. There's shortly after that, there's a bathroom scene, which is actually taken from a Belgian film called maniac. I want to say Belgian. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where it's oh, as she, God, as the guys. killer kicks down each of the stalls Yeah, that's and you're right. waiting to see, uh, her because we've seen her in a stall and of course she's not there because she is the killer. But like that is seen shot for shot. Uh, just, that horror trope, which we've seen in many films right. at this point where a killer 
key, even in like thrillers and like, uh, you know, James Bond movies, this happens. I think there's a scene in Casino Royale where that happens. Uh, well, the uh, bathroom stall is such a gimme for like, oh, there's four mystery safety, boxes. You're yeah. going to open them one at a time and, and launch that, the You surprise. think you're safe, yeah. but it's a very easy, just like kick it down. Uh, at one point she's driving away from uh, the truck. This is a little later in the film, but it's like, Basically, shot for shot, Spielberg's duel. Uh, yes. Even all the way down to the driver's pickup, as they call it. But it's not really a pickup. It's like a semi truck, small semi truck, and like the the front looks like a something you'd see in Robot Wars, and it mimics kind of like a tank or like a semi. This car's very weird. It's like yeah, yeah it's like a gas proof little like jeep truck it's with armor plating what a murderer would drive yeah it's pretty <laughs> obvious it's like a murder van that's and, the best um, word for it even marie's car looks like a plymouth variant and in duel it's a red car in her in this one it's a yellow they're both bright sporty cars sure. flashy with color uh the plastic covering in the greenhouse that uh she's choked for the final she, fight. yeah for the final yeah. fight that's a horror trope to cover someone in plastic right you know? right of course uh, and and you know yeah well i just i gotta say uh if you haven't seen it or i realized what i think makes the twist work so well versus other things where you do find out oh we were the killer all along or the person we were riding with in their head they were the killer all along um they based it on a very simple pivot, which is Marie is in love with Alex. Alex is straight. Marie's a lesbian. And she obviously is in love with Alex. And love is perfectly vague. It works so perfectly because it makes equal sense that she would be flipping out, desperately chasing her and trying to contain her if she were in love with her and trying to save her or if she's trying to kill her because she's insane. Mm -hmm. So everything, I just think they nailed it as far as all the things Marie does. You're like, in retrospect, yep, I could have read that scene either way. And when I watched it this time and tried to read all the scenes as threatening, it's awesome how creepy Marie is the whole time and you don't notice it. Like before like the first time you watch it you would never notice some of the planned payoffs like the first line of dialogue she ever has is accusing uh alexis of being a slut and like fucking every man they ever meet when they're out together and you realize that she's slowly like in retrospect she's already dangerously obsessed with her but you would never notice it because so many decapitations are happening except on the second viewing and i just love when a twist bears up to a second viewing now the one thing i will say and have to ask is the cops end up seeing the van the van is real and exists and in the end, when she snaps out, or we snap out of it, we, the audience, know Marie is the killer and she reveals herself and is just carrying a chainsaw as herself. The van is there. So the van is real. Where'd that van come from? How'd Marie get that van? She drove out to this remote place that she doesn't know where it is and she didn't drive and she was asleep for most of the drive. Where'd she get that murder van? Well, either you believe that it's an unreliable narrator and the van is something else. And like just, just a stolen car or something. Yeah, uh, but I I like to believe that it's you know obviously we're doing work for them so it could just be a plot hole. But I like to think that it's just like a family van, like, like the farm farmers equipment. and they need farm equipment and that's why it's 
they need to put livestock in there and shit like that. But I say it basically as a compliment because I was looking as hard as I could for holes. Now that I know the twist, right? For shit that was physically impossible, and there's really not a lot. I wonder how she got the axe so fast when Jimmy was turning around to get the liquor out. But uh, or I really desperately want to know what a third party observer would have seen if they could have been a fly on the wall in the gas station. Like, did she run in screaming, you got to help me, there's a murderer, then ask him for liquor, then wink at him, right. then ax right. him? What? Right. If, like, yeah. I, I, it so, does fall apart a little bit. Well, there's scenes where you wish you could have literally seen what was actually happening, but that's not the point of the movie, so it's okay. We'll give it a pass for that. I want to go back to what you were saying about like the love interest and like how she cracks through that. I thought it was a nice little like kind of folding of content into form in that what I was talking about earlier about how it's like in its roots, it's it's 70s, 80s slasher film. About 20 minutes into it, it gets the obligatory like sex scene out of the way. So the killing can commence. That's a trope of most horror movies. And that observation is you mean the masturbation. Yeah. And that's exactly why it's interesting is like within 25 minutes, there's a self-realization. It senses like a self-realization, self-actualization film. Uh, Marie is in her dream that we see at the, in the first scene of the film, she's chasing herself as a foreshadow element. But the sex scene isn't a sex scene at all. It's a masturbation scene, which is perfect for when we learn the twist. That she was the not, whole thing's just her. Yeah, but we needed that loss of innocence. Like I think that that's what that that that's why it's there in like Friday the Thirteenth or you know. Like, and it's explicitly not innocent masturbation because she spied through the window to watch her friend showering. Yeah, and it's been established that her friend wouldn't be comfortable with that if she knew. Right, and she goes to her bed and masturbates. You know what she's thinking about. Right, right. Um, and I just realized, and it hit me. The very first, the scene right before that is the very first time you meet the killer. And if you already weren't aware that this is gory as shit, you might want to tune out now. He's in the van with a severed head and he's blowing himself with the severed head, which if you assume the spirit has left the severed head (laughs) is also masturbation. I mean, yeah, he's just using a body part. Exactly necrophilia but masturbation so you there are these weird clues and also i think the fact that the killer is repeatedly a forensic genius uh is kind of a tip off that he's not real because he's like this utterly did you did i interrupt a a larger arc okay then let's dive into the villain because i do want to talk a little bit just about him as a separate piece Mm -hmm. i Love horror, and yet I find it an intensely hit and miss genre. I have a high standard for film, so I'm always blown away when a horror film's actually good or actually scares me, even if the whole thing's not good. And the thing that can never get me is the relentless, slow moving, giant, non speaking monster. Jason is not scary to me, uh, Mike Myers is not scary to me, etc. But fucking this dude is obviously. I think in some ways a nod to those kinds of monsters. Yeah, he's the feral villain. And he scares the shit out of me. And like the truck from Duel. He's the non-speaking inanimate just monster. And I'll tell you what does it. Mike Myers and Jason, what's scary about them is they relentlessly come at you because that's what they do, right? They're inscrutable. It's almost like a boulder rolling down a hill. But when it gets to you, you just get crushed to death. Yeah. And it doesn't care. This dude... Like, I love the unnecessary, gratuitous cruelty he shows. Yeah. It makes him so much scarier. So he does have no facial expression and just quietly walk up to the house and quietly slit your throat. But then he cuts your hand off with a rusty razor blade to take as a trophy 
while he like grunts sexually about it or like when she's screaming for her life he pauses with his chainsaw and like quiets it down to go and like mock her screaming and it's these little moments that punctuate the like oh i'm scared i'm scared and this guy is like the devil. Like yeah. what's funny is I already know that cause he's slitting throats left and right, but man, he's even mean for a serial killer. Like he's just a dick. He douses <laughs> Alex through the, you know, like back, like with alcohol. And then he lights a match to smoke a cigarette, which is functional for him. But then he goes one step further and just holds the burning match over her as she cowers in fear and then just laughs about it. Like I'm going to set you on fire or maybe I won't. It's all good. And then smokes a cigarette, right? And it's, ugh, it's, I found it really chilling. It reminded me of, uh, I just rewatched Blood Simple not too long ago. And do you remember the main, the sheriff villain in that? Yeah. He had some of that vibe where, like, what was really scary about him wasn't that he shot you in the back, but after he shot you in the back and you died and were like collapsing, he would go, like, ha ha, woo, and like wipe his brow and walk away. Like, he thought all this shit was funny. Yeah. I think what you're, or at least, he is terrifying to me and definitely more so than like the Mike Myers of the world because yeah. his, uh, his villainy is nuanced. Like even if he's this in, he's not an inscrutable, you know, pain monger. He is that, but he's also on top of everything, uh, more terrifying because he chooses to, he's elated by it. Like the, the, the fact that you feel fear, the fact that you feel pain excites him in a way. Yes. As opposed to like a curse that causes these other villains to just relentlessly kill. It doesn't affect them. They just have to. And yeah. that is different than it's a different form of psychosis of like, it's the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. I mean, they're all psychopaths, but like with a sociopath, it's a little more like, well, I just don't care. Or I require, terrifying. I require power over this situation. Right. I'm going to remove you. That's terrifying. But a psychopath yeah. who like relishes in like, like I want to see your blood. I love your blood. Yeah. Give me your blood. You're then, like, oh my okay, God, dude. All right, yeah. You're a little more <laughs> yeah. I realize it's like a horror life of pie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you notice right after the turn on the swing, when in retrospect, you realize this was when she made the decision or had her psychotic break, whatever. First of all, yeah, like, well, I could go endlessly, but there's a lot of creepy shit in retrospect. Like, she's the last thing she says to Alexis before Alexis will see her again as a nuts person is, I'm glad I finally met your family. The unspoken right. thing being like, because now they can all die and I can begin my plan. Yeah. Um, but did you notice when she goes crazy, she looks at a doll and the doll's face is broken and... Yes, that's hackneyed. It's a little like the dude in Adaptation who's like, I'm writing about split personality. I'm going to have a theme of broken mirrors. It's a classic trope that's maybe been beaten to death. And I don't know if I get anything out of this, but I'll just say when Alexis does finally fight back, the only wound she inflicts till she does the crowbar through the chest to Marie is she slashes her down the face. And she gives her a scar identical to the scar the doll has. I don't know what that means or if it's just stupid. But it's there. Yeah. It's like the teddy bear in Breaking Bad uh, that's in the pool for the whole, what, second or third season. Right, right, right. The burned face is the exact same like it's pattern Gus as spring. Gus's burned yeah. face. I don't actually know what that means. I think sometimes they're just laying pipe and paying it off because it's fun to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I want to give credit to this film also for how 
like the the topic that it chooses, which uses like a you know a bag of tricks that aren't that big. Uh, the slasher films, like jump scares, are like bread and butter to you know like turn around. And there's so many classic tropes that we've seen. Well, some of the favorite ones is a you know the the music or like a long string holds and then it gets quiet and then it's absolute silence. And then at the right time, a phone rings, you know, that's one. Uh, there's another one where it's like someone's brushing their teeth at, you know, the mirror. They even and did then the they bend down to quickly, the mirror and you bend yeah, up and, and someone's behind like you. And they quickly like close it. And it, you know, obviously there's someone behind them. There's about five of them in this, that's which two, is low yeah. end. And I'd say like three of them are f- like red herrings. They're all like, no, it's not a real thing, which, you know, doesn't give it that much credit. But it's amazing. I'm amazed for if you compare it to something like this, like, I don't know, like, I know what you did last summer. Or some of these, you know, resurgent 2000 sure. horror films and West Craven, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. craziness. Like, the it, it's just like every fucking <laughs> horror scene. And there's only like two legitimate ones. One is to me, the swinging of the. Uh, Acts at the uh, uh, cashier when he's getting alcohol. That's that comes be, very suddenly. That's got to be a shining thing, right? Halloran. Yeah, yeah. Gets an axe in the exact same way in the exact same spot on yeah. his chest. Yeah. And I talk about this role. My thing. one of my favorite things about like he steps on the guy's chest to let the axe go deeper. Yeah. No, he <laughs> steps on the guy's back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To push the axe further into his chest, and that's what I mean about the cruelty. Is this dude doesn't. This is not a monster who slits your throat and then you're dead and you're out of the movie. You will stay alive for like 60 seconds for him to brutalize your body. Yeah. That's going to be your last experience. And he go- likes fucking you up. It goes along <laughs> with the same kind of horror that is like one of the best scenes in Saving Private Ryan is when they have to slowly allow no. the knife to go in because it's like, Shaw, he doesn't want to do it, but he knows that this is life or death. That God is completely dude. different scene, but it's like the same kind of horror of like this slow death. I, there's just something about edged weapons. If you listen to Dan Carlin talk about history, he's like, that's why, that's what everything, you know, that's what changed everything is 10,000 years ago. If you're going to kill someone, you had to kill them with an edged weapon you held in your hand. It's very different than a bomb or a gun. Yeah. There's just something ugh about it. Uh, did you notice the Die Hard? I'm pretty confident it's a Die Hard reference. With the fact that she doesn't have shoes? They're not just that she doesn't have shoes. Feet shots are a recurring shot in the thing to the point where I made a note. There's got to be a reason why all these feet. Is it a Tarantino reference? Um, Just figure it out. I think that guy just likes feet. Well, I think it's a diehard reference because if you're conscious of feet, then you're thinking about Alexis's feet and the final challenge she faces is that she has a huge gnarly chunk of glass all the way through her foot. While she's trying to run away from Marie. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like that's the diehard walking on glass scene, maybe. But, you know, when someone's referencing a hundred things they love, it's easy to be like, there's some accidental ones in there, too. Right. But but I picked that one out and you didn't list it. So I was like, maybe, maybe. No, I think there's something there. And just the idea that they're, I mean, let's get back to why diehard made that choice is that to make it, there's an ounce of vulnerability. The fact that you're a fish out of water, you weren't expecting this to happen. You know, um, th- and I think stepping on glass or being barefoot yeah. and having it hurt is so universally and Marie, known to suck. Marie is barefoot as well, and uh, she's running around in the woods. She's like, she her feet are also banged up, as we see several times. Not only that, I would go one further and say she's like Terminator esque because mm-hmm. she gets stabbed like nine times. 
you know, like she gets cut. She gets like her face impaled at one point. Like yeah. she, she gets, uh, like she gets stabbed by Alex, like in the stomach she gets, and yes. she's still able to cut apart a car with a chainsaw. But I do wonder, I gave it that a pass on that just because she is a, in a full psychotic break where she doesn't even think she's that person. Just because, like, you know, there's the dude on Angel Dust who can wrestle six cops, and you think it's physically impossible, but no, it's because they're so far gone, their body has is not even feeling pain and has unleashed 100% of their adrenaline. Right. Like, after this episode, they're going to be dead of exhaustion, but this they can do. Maybe, maybe I give it a pass. But I did write at the end, my note is... Well, also, I said, is that a Muse song? Is that a Muse song? Yeah, at it's the a end? Muse okay. song. They play it twice. Actually. They play it twice, yeah. I wrote, Alex lives, but why? And I don't mean like she deserved to die. I mean, she saw her beloved little brother get shot in the back. She saw her dad get decapitated by a piece of furniture and her mom get her throat slit. And like, I'm like, man, she's just going to have a rough time. And then I wrote, Marie lives, but how? Yeah, they, <laughs> they both, both live. Yeah. Uh, what I love, Marie lives, Marie gets a crowbar through her heart. Mm-hmm. And, and then they cut to her in the hospital. Although I will admit that I think the final scene is also awesome. Don't you think that's a great last shot for this movie? Yeah, she, her hands up like a little baby bird. But it's perfect because she's, yeah, she's in the insane asylum with cuffs on and Marie is behind the one way mirror. And the only line in the scene is she says to the doctor and you're sure she can't see us, right? And Marie instantly looks at her super creepy and reaches her hands out to her as far as they can so go. So you're saying there's a chance. Cut to credits for a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. Higher tension. <laughs> or high tune shift. <laughs> the number uh, two. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, t- I typically, when I rewatch a film, especially if, like not if I've rewatched a film in the last like two years, cause it's almost impossible, but there, there seems to be for me at least, like an amount of time that I can suspend disbelief. And like, even though I knew in my heart there was a twist and I knew what the twist was when I rewatched it, I, um, I tried to watch it best as I could with like that veil across my eyes. And one uh. of the things that I thought was super effective was the fact that you really think like, cause you believe Marie, if you were to watch the film and you're be like, Marie's trying to help you, Alex, you, you got to get out of this situation, especially in the car. Uh, well, cause you they're could, trying to hide and yeah. Alex is just making all the noises. She's yes. just crying being, and you, to the point of, if you're on Bree's side, which you should be at this point in the film, you're like, Alex, just fucking, what is your problem? I know it's terrible. What's happening to your family. Died, and that's what Marie's saying is like, you, you got to stop making noise or he's going to find he's us. He's going to yeah. find us. He doesn't know where we are right now. And now he does. So you're very like kind of angry at Alex, but then as the twist is revealed, you realize it's because she's looking at the face of the killer and she just doesn't want the killer to kill her. So it's just yeah. like a completely different twist. It's like, it's, like it's sometimes you get those twists that are like, oh, that's cute. And like psychologically, that's neat. And now I think back at the scenes and some of the scenes are different, like a six, the sixth sense. That was an effective twist. But like the realization uh-huh. that Bruce Willis doesn't talk to anyone in that film other than Haley Joel Osment is a lot different than in this film where the twitch, the twist actually palpable, like actually changes how those scenes play you can imagine, in a fundamental way. You can imagine a second movie in your head 
and know, be pretty sure how it would go. And it's equally viscerally terrifying. And it's cool that you almost got two brain movies for the price of one eyeball movie. Right. right. <laughs> and I agree because the sixth sense, okay, I guess it is an effective twist because to, to me, a twist has two goals. And uh, sixth sense and Shyamalan always is effective in one and not the other. One is in the moment, it feels like a monumental surprise that is satisfying enough for you to go what whoa that's crazy then the second part is if you think about it for 10 minutes or god forbid watch the movie a second time the movie should should feel richer and not only does sixth sense not feel richer the second time but it's impossible knowing the twist to not start going wait then this doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense how did that happen so like it falls apart and i just think this movie doesn't just the opposite it rewards you like she said I'm going to take care of you, Alex, in a loving way. But in retrospect, you know that she was saying that like, I'm going to take care of you, Alex. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's It's great. Sixth Sense just ties up the, like, just make sure that the ends of the rope are just like not tied up, but like just not frayed. Yes. Versus this film, which creates new knots that while you go and rewatch it, you're like, oh, new knot. You know, it's got a lot. The scenes have a lot more density than you thought. And I love that she's a lesbian, I don't want to say man-hater, because it sounds like I'm being homophobic, but I mean, she thinks all men are pigs, she really does, and she says it, and like, wants to keep Alexis away from all the men, and all they want is one thing, and the monster that she envisions is basically like, a grotesque, the worst version of like, a dude who just fucks anything, including like, dead body parts, he's like, a pig, um, but like a murder pig. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a pig. Yeah. I also thought that it was interesting that they chose to dress him up in a like, it feels like a French 1940s like thriller or like a bank heist thing. Like he's he's like a handyman. Yeah, he's and in it, like a gray overall. And I thought it was interesting at the beginning of the film, she's talking about how much she hates the country to Alex. Marie says like, She's like, how, how do, like, how can anyone live out here? Like, it smells like shit. There's nothing to do here. I want to party. She's like, we're here to study and stuff like that. But she already is separating herself from her environment. So from the get go, Marie is like basically positioning herself as a kind of like city elite and she's elitist in her way. So when we get this like kind of blue collar kind of handyman as the antithesis to her psychosis, we get this thing where it's like, it now becomes not just a self, you know, psychosis film where we're dealing with her break of her own ability to deal with her own identity. It also becomes kind of a class thing. It's not super. That's not very developed. It's not very developed, but I think there's something there because like she gets the flashy car, like she, like in a way, like the city and like her sexual orientation is like, it's a lot more free of an area, you know, the urban environment versus like a rural kind of, uh, traditionalism farmers. Well, and of course it makes it so that people can't come help you no matter how loud you scream, which is necessary for this kind of movie. And it's it's not super developed. It's not like they have like plant and payoff of it, but I just thought it was a nice touch to just kind of remark to that at that point is that the thing that she's scared of or she despises, as you said, like men, like the, the quote unquote man hating or the grotesque male, um, she even hates the culture in which that thrives. Right. I was going to ask, what do you think about, uh, so she, first of all, she kills the 
monster in a badass way with a bat made from an old fence post with a barbed wire wrapped yeah. around it. It's like and Haley or Harley Quinn. The effect is awesome. Like when he gets wanged in the head with the barbed oh, wire yeah. and you instantly see like two dozen little puncture wounds start bleeding. It's very effective. Um, but here's my point. As now that we know everything, why did she hallucinate an epic final confrontation where he like outwitted her with a belt and a flashlight and he almost killed her, but she killed him from the point of view of her psychosis. Do you think that meant anything? Cause like in normal symbolism, follow me here. That would mean that she's good now. You know what I mean? This isn't how real life works, but in a movie, if, if we go inside your mind and you kill like a shadow version of yourself in your brain, you usually wake up and go, I'm fine now. Um, But she instantly became unabashedly evil. She's like, now it's me as myself, and I admit I am going to fucking kill you with a saw. Um, although I guess not. Maybe it was- I don't think it is. I think it, that we're just, I think that's the filmmaker showing this is what the real events were versus, and it has been the whole time. We're just letting you in now. I think in that moment, Marie still thinks she's trying to save Alex, and she is this third party. Uh, I see. Observer. So you don't think her psychosis ever broke? We just no. filmically broke and start to see the real events. I don't. I don't know if that's what they like intention. in Looney Tunes when you're dreaming and then it cuts to reality. Yeah. Or yeah, you're hallucinating. Yeah. I don't know if that's what the director intended or the writer intended, but it seems like that is the clear cut version of it. I do think there's a clue to that because it's a choice I loved. Um, the second that you know irrefutably, oh, like when the twist is deployed, it cuts to a cop watching security footage and he's like oh it's her um and so now you the audience if you didn't already guess now you know it instantly cuts to her coming up to marie saying things she's been saying throughout like it's okay we're gonna be okay we just gotta keep calm but now the actress is clearly making a choice to be crazy seeming which I just love, like her performance changes. Before she was like, like in the van, she was like, you got to stay calm. We got it. And now she's like, you got to stay calm. It's all going to be okay. Like yeah, you, as yeah. soon as you know, she's crazy, she leans into it and she is really she is crazy. Really crazy yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I just wondered in her hallucinatory state, maybe she thought by killing him, now I'm going to come out. Maybe she expected to come out of the woods and have, Alex be really grateful and they live happily ever after. Right. Cause like when right. she kisses her and she is disgusted by being kissed by her, that's when she's like, well now I'm just going to chop you in half with an ax. Yeah. Which also I find, I don't know. I know she's just crazy, but the whole time she's killing everyone and she just keeps Alex alive. Cause that's her only reason for existing <clears throat> in her soul obsession. Mm. I don't think she would just like try to kiss her once and then she's like, I don't want to be with you. And she's like, then I'll chop your fucking head off. I don't think it, well, I don't know. I think it gets back to this unreliable narrator, right? I mean, in the same way of like, why, why think of the whole flashlight gag as like a way to hoodwink yourself? Well, also look at when she's on the phone with the actual cops before the cops like arrive, she is, gets angry at the cops and is just like, I, don't, I can't find the name of the, you know, like gas station, which is not how a reasonable person thinks. No, she hangs so, up on the cops in a situation where no one would ever do so that. So <laughs> I think, I think they're like, even though I think she's on autopilot, I think there's this kind of like back of the mind, like that you can't do these things because they'll find you. So there is this maybe like subconscious awareness of that things aren't like she's both at the same time. Yeah. Even if she's one at one time, she's Marie and she's the driver. 
at other times she knows that she needs to do these certain things so that she isn't caught because otherwise, how do you explain that? Uh, like in both. And yet cases. why does she call 911 at all? So she exactly. is far enough gone to have called 911, yeah. but then she's in compo- She's aware enough that she's the murderer that she hangs up on them. Right. So it's when we ask her interesting mental space, when we, exactly, it's unreliable, but yeah. uh, if, so when we ask the question of when they're in the forest and it, and like Alex is almost getting away, what literally happened? Like what yeah. li- what literally happened? Why does she have that switch of like you don't want to kiss me? Well, I guess I'm gonna murder. I think that the real events of that is like she's this like acting as film has always taught us like schizophrenic kind of like. Well, the fact that she gets angered is now a trigger for her to be this person, but she's still both when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, it's so easy to make it cheesy when you're shooting that sequence where it alternates between both identities, you know what I mean? In the final scene, it's like, it's Marie, it's the driver, it's Marie, it's the driver. And I think they did even that well. It's executed well, they picked the right times to switch who it was in shot. And then, dude, the Mm. last kill is my favorite kill. If you guys like horror, you gotta at least fast forward and see her take apart this car with a giant like two-handed circular saw because it's awesome because like the blade gets stuck in the windshield and it barely reaches the guy's chest so blood is flying everywhere but he's not dead it's way worse than if it reached his than if he right it barely reaches his chest so he just has like bits of flesh and sternum stripping away as he's like fumbling with his seatbelt trying to move his chair back. Yeah. It's pretty gruesome and awesome. <laughs> also, right before that, the reason she gets she catches up, uh, other horror fans will notice that the car doesn't start, which is just yet yeah. another trope of like, because it crashed. That's yeah, I get the most it. Classic, but it's just yeah. like classic, yeah. And then doesn't he, yeah, he, uh, the driver, or Maria, we should say, mm-hmm. uh, kills the the driver of the the new driver of the car right uh who's she's taking apart she, doesn't she kick in the windshield like it's another one of those put my feet on it and just push until yes. it goes through him which is yeah that's it's the killer three or four times just uses their foot to do something horrible which maybe that's why all the shots of feet but it's a very interesting technique that's how and it is that, disturbing. the first kill is that too the, i know and the, it's dis- rough yeah the, um well i guess the shoving the dad's happens head with the piano right. but she cuts away a part of one of the posts of the, of stairs, the banister on the and stairs. there's just like a four inch kind of like wooden thing and she just pushes down on his head neck so that so that he's stuck like I did yeah. when I was a kid get my head stuck in the banister but this time it it's doesn't work out goes through your throat your dad doesn't put Crisco on your neck and pull you out you get decapitated what? with a bureau what dad rubbed Crisco on my ears and I popped right out oh okay of the banister I this was like an annual thing in no 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 just one time that was just, just the one time boy time to Crisco your neck I mean get your head stuck in a banister once shame on you you know what I mean <laughs> yeah uh well that's all i got for that i'm glad we did at least one like really gnarly horror thing i know it's not everyone's jam but i'm sure we'll dip into horror now and then yeah there's one thing i want to add yeah i want to know more cool. but, like do you know what else this guy's done if anything we should I, you talk and i'm gonna look that up while you say uh, that. something that i thought was there's a, a a bit of controversy over this not only with the goriness and the fact that uh they were gonna you know 
call it rated X at the time or, you know, whatever. NC-17 or whatever. NC-17, and they had to cut a bunch of stuff just to make it an R. Uh, So definitely if you're going to watch this film, uh, if you've watched this film, but if you haven't watched the unrated, uh, undubbed version, that's the best version. Uh, you want to watch it in French and you want it because it's a lot, it makes a lot more sense. And then also, uh, it doesn't have, it has a lot more shots of grotesqueness, but, um, that unrated version before it got, um, it was argued that it was plagiarized from a novel called intensity, which it's like almost beat for beat the same thing by Dean Koontz. Uh, the director acknowledged that he had read the novel and was aware of the similarities on his website. Coons stated that he was aware of the plagiarism, but would not sue because he didn't want any association with the film. He didn't want to give it any more. He hated the film so much. He did not want to give it any more. What's the name of the book that he, that it's like, uh, intensity. Oh, I've heard of that, but I never read that one. Yeah, but apparently it's face. very similar. Probably same. I haven't read. Probably it. the same twist, or probably what would they be twist. arguing about? Yeah. 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 Um, he also directed. Oh, so we okay. We need to talk about Maniac. You said it as if you hadn't heard, seen it. Is that correct? If you I haven't know, seen Maniac. No. Both versions of Maniac are fucking awesome, dude. The original version, and there's a recent remake, which our guy, the director and writer of High Tension, who I'm going to mispronounce, Alexandre Aha or Aya, or Aja, A-J-A, um, produced the American version, which has Elijah Wood as the maniac. And maniac is this guy who uh, skins beautiful women and puts their skin on mannequins and lives in a creepy warehouse where he carries on a relationship with his mannequins. But what's amazing about the American remake in particular is, A, Elijah Wood's great at being creepy and scary and like in a weird, uncomfortable, sad way. And B... The whole movie is a single POV oneer, like from Elijah Wood's point of view. It's Peep Show. You only ever see Elijah Wood in mirrors and oh, reflections. Cool. And when you are scalping women, it's pretty hard to watch because you are you are the killer. <laughs> like it's all POV. And see, so he also directed Horns. He also directed Horns Daniel with Radcliffe. Yep. And then the only other notable one, at least to me, was Hills Have Eyes, the most recent remake. Which I remember now I watched because it was the High Tension dude, and it is decent, but not as good as High Tension. Well, there it is. There it is. The complete career of a fellow human boiled down to an hour. You can stop, Alexandre Aja. You're done now. <laughs> you truly were the best of us. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so that, I think, concludes High Tension. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. You have been listening to frame rate uh from small beans which is michael and i um so and small. we'll have michael insert some social media stuff here i guess This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.